Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast. And yes, we have a different sound and a different look today. Our leader, Kevin Acey, got his second vaccination shot yesterday, feeling a little bit of the effects of that. So he's taken a lay day for the for at least for the morning. And uh, I am honored to be joined by an old friend, John Shea, now the baseball writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. But John has deep San Diego ties, all going back to the 1980s, I believe, in San Diego State, right, John? Fall of 79. Fall of 79, uh, okay. Mark Halda at quarterback and uh, <laughs> a young Tony Gwynn playing hoops and baseball. And remember the classic day, the last game of the season, he had 16 assists against New Mexico, too shy of his own record. And then two days later, got both uh, game-winning RBIs on both ends of the doubleheader. He was pretty good. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was pretty good. And uh, and you actually worked at a few papers here um, <laughs> in San Diego, but I, I I don't think any of them exist anymore. Correct? No. If I work there, they're closed. <laughs> I uh, shoot. I used to string for Jeff Nahill down at the Chula Vista Star News on Friday nights during college. And who does that during college? Missing the Friday night parties. That's right. San Diego right. State and. Uh, and then out of college, I got a job at the weekly San Diego Citizen up at Solana Beach, right next door to your stomping grounds at the racetrack in Del Mar. And then uh, shortly thereafter, the Encinitas Coast Dispatch, the uh, Vista Press, which was a daily. That was a lot of fun, man. We covered the, the, the Aztecs, the Padres, the, the Chargers, the Clippers, even the Soccers. Uh, that was a ball. That was a good time. And then at the Times Advocate with you, I was... The Padre beat writer, you were the Charger beat writer, and yep. also did a lot of work with the Oceanside Blade Tribune, which was a sister paper of another paper I worked for. So, hey, that was a lot of fun, man. Right out of college, just the whole North County, just some wonderful athletes and coaches, and you know the opportunity to cover professional and college sports. And shoot, at that age, that was just, I can't, I couldn't have beat it. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I remember. Um, you know, the NFL draft is going on right now. The first NFL draft I did as the Charger beat writer was in 1985. I was, you know, I wasn't even two years out of college yet. And here I was covering the NFL draft with guys like Jerry, you know, Hall of Famer, Jerry, Jerry McGee and right. uh, Clark Judge. And uh, Nick Canepa was there as a columnist and Tom Cushman guys, you know, got Wayne Lockwood, right. guys like that. So uh, great, great experience for us. And, and uh, I know you went on to the, uh, I think the Marin, what the Marin Independent Journal, I believe. Yeah, and it's Marin IJ and, then... and, and Gannett News Service, which traveled at the time with both teams. I remember one trip, I I, I went to uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, New York, uh, Boston, <laughs> New York, uh, Baltimore. So wow. uh, one trip. <laughs> and, and ever since, it's been easy. I said, it's man, right. if I can handle six cities in a row. I, in New York, I was at the Grand Hyatt in the same room on consecutive weekends. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was nuts, but man, a lot of fun. I wish the younger writers could travel now and and appreciate yeah. what uh, the things that we were able to appreciate. And shoot, I wish I could travel now. <laughs> so I, I know sometimes you like to make it down here for the uh, for the Padres and Giants, but obviously you're uh, you're in your you're in your home office uh, up in the Bay Area, so we'll we'll do it this way. But uh, the NOS, you know, everybody has. Uh, has spent the whole offseason talking about how it was a great going to be quite a race between the Padres and the Dodgers. And could the Padres stop the Dodgers from winning another NL West title after eight in a row? And here we are. We're at the last day of April. 
and the team with the best record in the National League is the San Francisco Giants. How how did how did this happen, John? A month ago, we were saying, okay, who's going to finish third? That was the only question because the <laughs> Dodgers and Padres were guaranteed for the playoffs. Who was going to finish one? Who was going to be the wild card? And man, what a great NLCS that's going to be! You know, mm -hmm. Padres, Dodgers. Well, the Giants, even on the eve of opening day, guys like Buster Posey, when I asked them, I said, what's the goal here? You know, 500? You haven't done 500 in four years. Is it to maybe sneak into the playoffs as a wild card? He says, no, we, we want to win. I said, well, what do you mean you want to win? You, <laughs> win what? Like, well, well we want to win the division. I said, you want to win the division? Well, the Dodgers are, you know, just, just blew everybody away last year, won it all. And, you know, they, they might be the deepest team in all of baseball, and the Padres are the most improved. And look at that rotation. And you're kind of, you know, as Bochy used to say, ham and egging things together uh, <laughs> here in San Francisco. And he said, no, that's the goal. Why wouldn't it be? Why would I mm -hmm. say anything less than we want to win the division? I said, okay, I mean, that's fair. So I quoted yeah, him yeah. and I brought it to Gabe Kapler. And he said the same. He said, that's the goal. I said, okay. You know, now we have it on record. And whatever they do, we can go back and say that was the goal. But now they're, you know, it's one-sixth into the season, and they're just doing all the things right. And it's, you know, forever they couldn't hit anything but solo home runs. And now they're starting to get guys on base and hitting home runs with people on base. But you look at a lot of the statistics, uh, you know, on base percentage, uh, run differential, you know, pitches per at-bat, you know, these are – stats that they really value and they're all you know among the leaders if not the mm -hmm. leaders so it's it's really uh, i mean they're rebuilding with an old team if that makes any sense right right and they're it, yeah they're doing it differently than say the way the padres uh did it where they you know played a bunch of young guys and then ended up trading a lot of those guys and yeah and, and getting in some some veterans but i i guess the the thing that really stood out to me was the the pitching you know, just looking even at this at this weekend with Logan Webb and Di Sclafini, I think, if I'm pronouncing that. Yeah, uh, Di Sclafani. They Sclafani. call him Disco. They call Disco, him Disco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Gauss, uh, Gaussman on uh, on Sunday, and they've got Aaron Sunday. Sanchez, who hasn't hasn't been around much. So, I, and Johnny Cueto's hurt um, mm -hmm. at this point. I, I guess the biggest thing is is this is this just sustainable? And it, and if it is, is it going to be because they're just going to outpitch people or are they going to outhit people? And shoot, they have guys hurt. Yastrzemski's hurt. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Donovan Solano, two guys who are, you know, the two, three hitters, the one, three hitters, and they're both on the injured list. Will it be sustainable? You know, I, I'm very skeptical because if you look at last year, they say, well, the Giants were one game away from making the playoffs. Well, they were 29 and 31 and most teams made the playoffs. So they had a losing record. So, I mean, this is not the 1960s Giants that won 97 every year and finished second. Mm -hmm. These are the 2000s Giants who are just starting or just trying to get to 500. Hasn't been done since 2016. And when you look at 19 and 18, the two years before the pandemic, they had 500 teams in August, so they were in it in August. What did they do in September? They went in the tank, and they had awful <laughs> overall records. So it's not a 60-game season. It, it's it's one thing to – I mean, that's early June in most years, within 500 by then. And it's another thing to, to have the best record in April. I mean, all those good teams the Giants had in 10, 12, and 14, I don't think any of them had great Aprils. 
they didn't really take off till the end of the season. And 10 in August, they were downright awful. I mean, they had the worst record in August in all of baseball. Lincecum lost five games. And then September 1st, they they flicked, uh, they flipped the switch on. And Lincecum won September 1st, and they went off to have this crazy September and eliminate the Padres on the final day. I think that was the last time the Padres were good, right, 2010? Yeah, up until last year. Yeah, Kevin and I talk a lot on here about, you know, how long the season is and, and how – it gets lost sometimes and it's hard to it's sort of hard to keep that perspective when you know when the Padres were struggling earlier before they went to LA you know they got swept by the Brewers and uh you know but I mean you even look at the Dodgers now and they had until um until Kershaw's game on Wednesday I think they'd lost seven of nine so maybe now I think they've lost eight of 11 or something like that and nobody doubts that at the end they're going to be at 90, 100 wins, something like that. So uh, I, I think a lot of times, even bad teams, I mean, there were some bad Padre teams. I remember one bad Padre team won 14 games in a row one year. You know, look at the A's. They started, what, 0-6 or 1-7? and and Yeah, 0-6, and then they won 13 games in a row. So it's hard to keep it going, but it, it, it's surprising nonetheless to see the Giants, you know, come back, come here to Petco at the end of April and, and be 16-9 and, 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 and be ahead of the Padres. I know you're busy watching the Giants and 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 the A's, but what do you make of what's happened with the Padres so far during their well, uh, well, I mean, the left start? The left side of the infield is so good and so entertaining, and it, you know it's like it's like covering bonds. I mean, you don't want to go get a beer or a hot dog or a soda because you don't know what's going to happen, and that mm-hmm. goes defensively too. I mean, they're so fun to watch. Uh, I remember Machado. There was a all-star game in Washington one year. And I went over to Baltimore a couple of days in advance and just to check out a game. And I, I watched that guy take grounders like up the left field line and make flip throws to first, like it was 20 feet away. It was just <laughs> tremendous. And he's such, he's so good. So fun to watch. And Tatis, man, I was there in spring training taking video of that home run he hit against Sergio Romo in Mesa. So, oh my gosh. That, uh, <laughs> I think it's the only time there was like 400,000 views of any video I ever took because it wasn't on TV. And, right, and right. Was, oh, my God, that guy. And then he goes in Dodger Stadium and hits two home runs and then hits two home runs the next day. And nothing that anybody ever did, you know, before other than Barry Bonds. And he's getting the same number of boos, I think, at Dodger Stadium that, that Bonds did, you know, for different reasons. You know, and as as Bonds said, you know, you you got to be good to have 55,000 people tell you that you suck. The rotation is, you know, over the course of six months, you, you figure that this rotation, that lineup, that, that defense, you know, uh, and you tell me about the bullpen, but um, it, it just seems that they're too good not to make the playoffs this year. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I mean, I think their bullpen has been fantastic. I mean, it's really saved them uh, for the most part. I mean, Mark Melanson, who, you know, looked like a huge mistake by the by the Giants a few years ago, has come here and, and he's been virtually perfect. I mean, he's he's perfect in save opportunities and only allowed, I think it's one or two runs and he's he's been tremendous. And it was kind of like they weren't sure who was going to be the closer, if it was going to be him or Pomerantz or Pagan. And 
And Jay Singler decided right off the bat that he was going to give Melanson the first shot. And it's been a, it's been a great decision because he's, mm-hmm. he's been the healthiest of those guys. And he's also been the most effective and most of their other guys have been, have been pretty good as well. Uh, Tim Hill would be the guy that they would have always brought in to face bonds uh, in, uh, in those days. And uh, he, he's, I think he might even lead the league in appearances um, at this point, the rotation you know, I don't think we've seen the best of Blake Snell at this point. Uh, Darvish had a rough start. His first start wasn't great, but, you know, for the most part, he's shown that he's every bit as good as advertised. A couple of great starts recently against the Dodgers. Joe Musgrove, you know, yeah. whoever thought we'd see a Padre throw a no-hitter. Right. Uh, Kirkcaldy you know, was going crazy because he, he was official documenter of uh, no 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 no's no no no's and so yeah. uh no no joe broke that uh <laughs> broke that string and you know chris paddock's a bit of an enigma at this point he's you know been up and down ryan weathers has been great a little bit of concern when he left the start the other day uh, uh jace tingler said on the radio this morning that reiterated what he said wednesday night that he, they don't think it's anything serious so um you know, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, their pitching's been good. Their hitting hasn't really, other than the other night in Arizona uh, and Tatisa's explosion in L.A., their hitting's been a little bit of a disappointment. But they're getting Austin Nola back uh, yeah. right now. He'll be behind the plate tomorrow night. Um, you know, Will Myers battling some injuries. I think he's always tough against the Giants. You know, oh. Tatis off to a really slow start until – until recently and now his numbers are great machado has been okay uh but as you said so good defensively one of those things you just had no idea how good he was defensively until you started watching him um watching him every day tommy pham's been a a a big disappointment so far Uh, but i i think again when you talk about over 162 games it's still hard to think that the padres and the dodgers aren't going to be the two best teams in the division and maybe the giants hang around and you know, bid for that wild card spot with teams like the Mets and and Braves and Nationals and whoever else might uh, um, might be around. What how, what's Buster Posey took took last year off, yeah, um, and has come back this year. What what does he look like this year? And and in a way, did last year help him maybe to sort of get some fresh legs? At what is he thirty four now? I think. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Will Myers. There was one year a couple of years back in which Will Myers, the noted Giants killer, maybe more than anybody since Ron Say, (laughs) which goes back a couple of years, had more home runs at Oracle Park than any other Giants right-handed hitter one year. That's right. I remember that. So that just goes to show you how Buster Posey and these guys, you know, had trouble hitting at this point. Mm -hmm. And if Will Myers comes in and hits five or six – and that's the most of any right-handed hitter at that place. That's not good for that team. Yeah, and that's one reason they've uh, had you know sub 500 records since 16. So Posey had hip surgery at the end of 18, and 19 wasn't good. But then again, 18 wasn't good, and 17 wasn't good because you know you need a hip to drive through the ball for whatever reason. Defensively, he was always there. He could frame. He could throw. He could lead the staff. And that was his value. You know, Bochi tried him at first base on days he didn't catch just to get him off his feet as if playing first base is off your feet. This guy, Kapler, gives him complete days off. There is no first base. I mean, they got like nine first basemen anyway. (laughs) Uh, 
And, and so when he gets a day off, it's a day off unless he pinch hits. So what I'm seeing with Posey is a, the time off last year, he opted out because right when the season was beginning, uh, he and his wife adopted a couple of uh, twin girls, uh, you know, prematurely born, you know, wonderful thing. But he said, you know, I'm not going to endanger anybody here. I'm going to mm-hmm. sit out and good for him. You know, at that time, you couldn't fault anybody for doing that. And quite a few stars did it, not just Buster Posey. So sure. now, obviously, he's older, mid-30s. Um, he had the year off, a year further from hip surgery. Plus, he's buying into the new ways of coaching hitting that Gabe Kapler and his 13-person staff has pretty much enforced. That's a big staff, right? Yeah. Road games at Wrigley Field. There ain't no room for the manager, let alone 13 coaches uh, in that little clubhouse. But shoot, he's driving the ball. He's he, you know, the exit velocity and and the, the ball's just jumping off his bat like like he's in his mid-20s again. And he was never, you know, a 25, 30 home run guy, maybe one year, but uh, that's really not his strength as much as using all fields, hit for average, get on base a lot. And that's what he's doing. And he started the season as like the six or the seven hitter and slowly moving himself up. But shoot, Posey and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt the other day had eight combined hits. Wow. And they're all supposed to be over the hill. This is their last year. And, you know, they're all going to go wherever after this season. But now you're thinking, well, shoot, the Giants don't have a shortstop ready for next year. Uh, nobody like Posey among their catchers. Joey Bard is still trying to find his way, a number one pick from a couple years ago. And Brandon Belt, they absolutely love. Now, Brandon Belt is a funny story because under Bochy, and, you know, everyone loves Bochy and his coaches, they all played big league ball. They were Most of them were accomplished big leaguers as players. And now they're coaching the Giants. And, you know, kind of an old school approach, but, hey, it won them three titles. Right. You know, the, trust your scouting. and you know, hit hit the ball level or down or whatever they used to teach you in Little League, right? Well, now there's the launch angle and all these different ways to approach an at-bat. And I remember Bruce Bochy and those guys used to get so upset when Brandon Belt took the cold strike three on a 3-2 pitch this much out of the zone mm-hmm. or this much in the zone, whatever. And he, they'd bring him up and Bochy would just, you know, swing the bat, swing the bat. Kapler's approach is, hey, Brandon, good at bat. That pitch you would not have driven. So I'd rather have you strike out than hit into a double play. I'd rather have you strike out and learn, you know, for next time what this guy's throwing you. So it's the first time in my life I've heard strikeouts are good at bats. You know, right. and, and Brandon Belt, they absolutely love. I mean, you look at his his advanced stats with the on base and the the slugging. And the long at-bats and the way he drives the ball, he's an excellent first baseman. So I'm thinking, sure, I don't know anymore. Could all three be back in 2022 in the so-called rebuilding process? It's 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 intriguing. But but the people that Farhan Zaidi bring in, they're, they're not 22, like some of these Padres. They're not 23. Um, you know, uh, Alex Dickerson, the former Padre in his 30s. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski, the former Oriole farmhand in his 30s. And those are two of the best hitters. So it's like they're getting guys on the cheap knowing that they could work with them and turn them into very good major league ball players. And that's what you're seeing. A lot of good contact, not many strikeouts. Um, and, uh, and and just, you know, the, the, the strikeout wa- uh, ratio is so important for this team. 
offensively and with their pitchers. And that's that's like a make or break stat for these guys. Right. Before we go, over your right shoulder is a book, 24, about Willie Mays. Willie turns 90 next Thursday, a true a true living legend, the oldest living Hall of Famer, I believe, Yes. Uh, now that Tommy Lasorda has passed. Give us a sort of a rundown of how did this book come to be? How long did you have to work on Willie mm-hmm. to get him to do it? How much went into it? And and what, what's been the feedback over the past year or so since you put the book out? I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I know anybody who read it uh, that I talked with enjoyed it. What, what what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jay. Uh, I, I know that when it came out, we talked and you were nice enough to put a couple of stories in the in the paper, one by Kirk Kenny on the genesis of the book and one sample chapter. That was really nice. Um, but it came out May 12th, so pretty much a year ago. And right away, it was on the New York Times bestseller list at number 13 among nonfiction hardcovers. And I said, oh, my gosh. So here's <laughs> advice to all you young writers out there. Make sure, like, Willie Mays is your co-author. Uh, that helps. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I asked Willie Mays in about 2005, would you like to do a book? And his first reply was, I would like to see this in classrooms. So we obviously went the motivational ang- angle and why not? Because so many people uh, motivated him, encouraged him, his father, Leo DeRocher, his Negro League teammates and manager, and he's motivated and encouraged and inspired so many others along the way. And I've spoken with you know, the next generation from Reggie Jackson, Maury Wills and Joe Morgan and Willie McCovey and and on and on and on. They just all had great anecdotes about Willie helping them, you know, in the 50s and the 60s when they were just trying to, you know, get their footing in baseball and in life. You know, it's not just uh, life um, stories of the Say Hey Kid, but it's life lessons from the Say Hey Kid. So there, there's a lot to it beyond baseball. And, you know, I spent more than 100 hours with Willie and interviewed more than 200 people for the book and, you know, Negro League teammates and childhood buddies and commissioners and teammates and uh, opponents, a bunch of Dodgers and Mets, presidents. I spoke with Bill Clinton and George Bush because, Jay, when you leave a message saying this is about Willie Mays, you always get a call back, which doesn't always happen on my day job. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. If you you were doing a story on Gabe Kapler, they might not have called you back. (laughs) Yeah, you like to hit 500. You yeah. like to hit 500 when when calling sources, you know, five out of 10, you would hope that would be a good day. But but with Willie, I batted like a thousand and uh, everybody has a Willie Mays story. Everybody wanted to share it. And I brought those stories back to Willie. So all I did pretty much, Jay, was put it on a tee for Willie and let him swing away at the storytelling and 24 chapters of his four home run game in Milwaukee, his, his 16th inning uh, walk off against uh, Spawn at Candlestick. Marichal one nothing win, um, the catch at the polo grounds uh, in game one of the 54 series, the most iconic play in baseball history. And that's just three, but there's a Negro League chapter. There's a chapter devoted to his father. There's a chapter devoted to the Dodger rivalry, his time with the Mets, the current Giants. There's a chapter, him and Barry Bonds. Actually, that relationship goes back to Bobby Bonds, who was a a young five-tool player when Willie was at the twilight of his career and they became close. And Bobby on his deathbed in the early 2000s said, take care of my son. 
And from there, we always saw Willie in the clubhouse during the whole steroid issue and Belco scandal. While he was chasing all these records, it was Willie more than anybody who was at his side physically and figuratively because, you know, Willie promised his father when Bobby was about to die that I would take care of him. So Willie has really paid back so much. And like you said, iconic uh, hero. You know, there's just so much to the story. And the fact he's turning 90 on May 6th. And like you said, the oldest Hall of Famer. There's just so much there. And I was so honored to be part of him. It's like I'm I'm there watching him as a Negro League player and a New York Giant at the Polo Grounds. And, you know, he just brought me through his whole life and career. And man, what a pleasure that was. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's really, really well done. And I, I would encourage anybody who has not read it to pick it up. And you learn a lot, not only about Willie that I didn't know, but but like you said, some of the stuff about the Negro Leagues, um, going back to his uh back to his childhood and just really inspiring and and uh and really enjoyable and uh i hope that i'm glad it's been a success i mean it's mm. it's the kind of book that you know you would hope when you do it and you do it that well that people would read it and it looks like you've gotten good response mm. uh to that so what's your next so what's your next book <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the bruce, the bruce bochy the bruce bochy story. yeah right I went from uh, four books. The first was Magic by the Bay about the 1989 World Series and the earthquake and the mm-hmm. A's and Giants. And then I, I did a book on Ricky Henderson okay. and uh, with his autobiography. I, I did it in the early 90s thinking, well, he's almost done with his career. Little did I know <laughs> that at age 46, he would be playing for the San Diego Surf Dogs out at San Diego State every <laughs> weekend, right. playing for the manager, Terry Kennedy. And uh, <laughs> that guy, I always joke with Ricky. I said, Ricky, you're, you're going to the Hall of Fame, but you're, you, you're going to miss the ceremony because you'll have a game. You know, <laughs> he didn't want to shut it down. And, and Mays was the same at, at age 42. You know, he's in the 73 World Series. A lot of people knocked him. Hey, you don't want to be like Willie. You don't want to play that long. Look what he did. He fell over. Well, you know, I talked to Phil Negro and Ricky Henderson. And, you know, people in baseball say, hey, play for as long as you can. And I was just on this morning with the great Jay Horwitz of the Mets, and with, he did a Zoom uh, a podcast with me and uh, Ed Cranepool, his teammate with the Mets, and Orlando Cepeda, the great cha-cha. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we we're all on talking about the great Mays, which is going to be shown. But, but yeah, uh, Cranepool talked about how great Mays was when he came to the Mets. You look up his stats. He led that 72 team in on-base percentage and OPS. 73, he had all kinds of injuries. He didn't play that much. But, uh, shoot, he got the game-winning hit in Game 2 of the World Series. And, uh, you know, people always look at that picture of him on his knees with his with his hat off and, like, he did something wrong. Well, he was just arguing on behalf of Bud Harrelson, who, by all accounts and by today's standards with technology, would be probably safe. But he was called out, and uh, Ray Fossey with the swipe tag but anyway, it goes on and on. And uh, I mean, the point is, w- Willie didn't make a mistake there. He was he had the back of Bud Harrelson, you know, with Augie Donatelli, who was on his knees. That's the famous picture that you see. So uh, I, I try to bring, you know, truth and clarity to that whole World Series and try to explain it's not what it might be perceived to be. All right. But you didn't answer the question. What's the next? I don't book? know, man. OK. Who's going to do the Tony Gwynn book? Maybe it's you and Kirk teaming up together. Right? Yeah. 
couple of, old, couple of old Aztecs writing about another Aztec. That's right. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get I, I wonder, I wonder why involved. I know Barry Bloom as well, but I, I wonder why there wasn't, you know, uh, th th he did some books that I have, you know, hitting books and things like that, but mm -hmm. not a whole biography style. And maybe he was planning one. Hey, Jay, he's still the, my favorite all time player to cover. I mean, I've been covering 38 years, 37, whatever it is. And I look back and say, who's your favorite guy to cut? That was Tony Gwynn. I mean, even in college, when I worked for the Daily Aztec, he would be the spokesman on Smokey Gaines' basketball team. He was the guy. Even though Smokey didn't necessarily like him, he didn't recruit him, he wanted all his guys. But in the end, he knew he had to play Tony because he was the best player on the team. And then Michael Cage was a freshman. But he was the guy. He was the spokesman on the baseball team then and the basketball team then. He was just a, a, a beat writer's dream. and. It, that held true when he, you know, broke in with the Padres and it played his whole career. I mean, you talk to any baseball writer in the country and they'll all say the same. He was just a wonderful human being, not just a great ball player. Yeah, no, I, he's he's missed all the time. And it's it's good. And it's also weird to hear his son on Padre broadcast now, because, as you know, they sound so much alike. And there are times where where Tony's. Tony Jr. is talking and you think, oh, my gosh, Tony's back. And yeah. some of the, the laugh and some of the way that, that Tony uh, Jr. talks, you know, about the breaking ball and stuff like that. You can just hear Tony's voice uh, in that. So it's uh, it's it's and Tony, it's been good. He's done a good job on the yeah. on the on the radio. And I, I think it's funny. I think the Padres and the Giants both have probably two of the best radio TV mm -hmm. crews in, in all of baseball. I mean, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Giants guys I've always enjoyed. Kuiper, Kruko, John Miller, Dave Fleming is excellent, mm -hmm. and uh, obviously Orsillo and and Mud on TV here, and and Jesse Agler and and Tony Jr. So it's uh, two good teams, and it'll be a good weekend at at Petco. Sorry you won't be here to see it, but I know you'll be watching, and uh, uh, really appreciate you joining us today. And again, everyone, if you haven't read Twenty Four. The John Shea story by Willie Mays, or <laughs> some, something like that. Make right. sure you uh, make sure you pick it up. So, John, take care, stay safe up there, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Jay. All right, and everyone else, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll be back on Monday with Kevin Ac talk about the Padres Giants and look ahead to the Pirates series.